This is Behind the Cut with Christopher Grenland. The companion show to Not About Lumberjacks. Alone in HQ is obviously a satire, but maybe just barely. I once worked with somebody who put so many hours into work that it wasn't uncommon for them to occasionally collapse from stress and exhaustion. Once, while they were visiting family in another state and obsessing over email they couldn't check on their phone as it came in, they stepped away to take a look and down they went, in front of their entire family. I know of at least one woman who was already working on her phone from a hospital bed the day she gave birth. And along those lines, I know of someone else who had cancer and heart issues who was told not to work at all, but they were secretly working from their hospital bed. Sadly, that person died, and when they did, someone who didn't know they died mentioned to others that email to the person was going unanswered. The response? Yeah, they died a few weeks ago. We'll let you know when we hire their replacement. It was said in a tone of, how dare they die before finishing their part of this project. In April of this year, I left a company where I worked for almost seven years. Aside from the chief financial officer saying they planned to get rid of technical writers, the spirit of the company had changed. It went from a place where the attitude seemed to be, we let our work speak for itself, to one of, we must crush all others at any cost. Suddenly, everyone was an enemy to destroy. In the last company town hall meeting I sat through, leaders talked about how the industry was our birthright and how we must do all we could to take back what was rightfully ours. It sounded more like a meeting of white nationalists than a state-of-the-company meeting. Most recently, I heard they told employees layoffs are likely coming, and that if you lose your job, it's nothing to get upset over. Hey, you know, so you'll lose your income in healthcare unless you can afford paying for COBRA with no money coming in. And sure, it's a big wrench in all the plans you have, but don't be upset about us taking from you all those memories with family you gave up for us. It's sickening. I share all this not to attack a company I once felt at least a certain pride working for, but to highlight how strange corporate life has become. Despite so many articles about the biggest life-end regret being I wish I hadn't worked so much, people now work constantly. I know people who can't get through a lunch without checking their phone every time it lights up, vibrates, or makes noise. I can only imagine how many times a day people look at their phones and say, just a minute, work. So is it really beyond the realm of belief that if power and connectivity went away, that some would seek out some semblance of the routine they've been conditioned to follow? Steve Jobs once said that he viewed Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged, as one of his guides in life. Former ExxonMobil CEO Rex Tillerson said it's a book that shows the positive effects CEOs can make on the world. 
Other CEOs similarly credit Rand's The Fountainhead as their guide. But before Ayn Rand wrote those beefy, rambling things, she wrote a little book called Anthem. If you're familiar with it, you probably picked up on how much I framed Alone in HQ around the book. For all its faults, and believe me, there are plenty, I will always have a fondness for Anthem. It's a story about a street sweeper in a dystopian future without much technology. When the main character discovers electric light and brings it before the leaders of the society in which he lives, later he escapes prison into the mountains with a woman he meets and finds a house high up above everything he knows. He vows there to start a family and show others the literal and figurative light driven by a sacred word he will carve over the portal of his fort. That sacred word, ego. Yeah, it's a bit much, but seriously, the book does have its moments. Like so many others, I came to Anthem through the band Rush's 2112 album, which mirrors the story in many ways. And hey, were that not enough, Rush also released a song called Anthem influenced by the book as well. However, framing parts of Alone in HQ around Anthem is one of the reasons it took so long for me to release. Well, that, and I was wrapping up a novel. In Anthem, the protagonist, named Equality 72521, so how could I not name the protagonist in Alone in HQ after an employee number, meets a woman named Liberty 53000. Yeah, Liberty 53000. I mean, come on, that sounds like an old-timey telephone number, doesn't it? Mirroring that, I eventually had a woman tending to a nearby financial company wander into employee number 312566's headquarters. And that led to a very bloated story. Okay, maybe not bloated, but I try to keep stories on Not About Lumberjacks anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes. I do all I can to not go over that 30-minute mark, and this was probably becoming a novella. But to introduce a new character and not give her much time in the tale seemed kind of cheap. So when the novel I was working on was done and I returned to Alone in HQ, the solution was simple. Keep employee number 312566 completely alone. Strip out all those scenes with employee number 817481. I'll pause here for another aside. The two employee numbers are the beginnings of old telephone numbers I once had. 312566 was the start of my old number up north, and 817481 was the beginning to the number I had when I moved to Texas from the Chicago area when I was 15. I've never been a writer afflicted with this sucks syndrome. And by that I mean, when a story is weak, I know it's part of the process. Your job as a writer is to work with a story until it's smooth enough to show to others if that's part of what you want out of writing. Obviously, I record this and release it for free to anyone in the world who wants to listen, so that's part of what I want out of this. All that said, it wasn't until I did the first vocal read-through of the story that I felt there was something there. When I read it in my head, it seemed a bit ham-fisted. 
but once I read the story out loud, it worked for me. And it seems to have worked for others. Alone in HQ had 20% more listens in its first week than any previous episode of Not About Lumberjacks. Now, before you say wow, know that the reality of that is instead of 40 listens, it received 50. I've put more than 40 hours into some episodes of the show that saw the kinds of numbers that would make many podcasters quit and try another show or give up podcasting for good. And maybe that's part of why I like the story so much. We seem so damned fixated on measuring everything by numbers. How many retweets something promoted received? How much money people make as a measure of their worth? And more today than any time before, equating how many hours one works in a week as a measure of how dedicated they are not just to work, but to their lives. There's something to be said about doing a thing simply because you love doing it. There are miserable people who can never have enough in life, while others making enough to get by with some degree of security and comfort do their things and live rich and happy lives. But there are many people who measure their worth and how much control they have over others, and those people seem unsettled by those who don't share their philosophy. I'm a very hard worker, but I am nothing like employee number 312566. In 40 hours a week at my day job, I often do better work than those putting in 60, 80, or even 100 hours or more. Beyond that, I'm definitely happier than many people I've worked with, choosing not to put my entire value as a person into a place that's likely to lay us all off one day. How sick or scared must one be to somewhat regularly pass out from work-related stress or exhaustion? How sad is it to be dying, continuing to put in long hours believing it all matters somehow, only to have team members see your death as an inconvenience rather than a thing to mourn? The way we approach work seems to become more twisted each year. I know somebody who actually had a manager tell him in his group, if you guys don't hit your numbers, I'll put you through a fucking wall. I once watched one of the good CEOs of a company I worked for step down in front of us all in tears, talking about realizing how off track his life had become when his family begged him to stop answering text messages from others at work during Thanksgiving dinner with them. He told us all that he missed seeing his children grow up, and they were all about to head off to college, and he barely knew them because he put work before family. It wrecked the guy. Let's get back to Ayn Rand. She glorified the characters in her novels, even the terrible ones. Perhaps the reason I like Anthem's Equality 72521 is he's at least redeemable. The characters in The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged, however, are shitty human beings skipping anniversaries, having affairs with others who understand them and their work more than their families, and were often handed down the successes they claim to have made completely on their own. No wonder her work is loved by so many CEOs. I suppose when all you do is run from life and do nothing but work, you'll do anything to convince yourself you're living the best life there is to be lived. The sad thing is when they expect us to do it too.
sadder still when we actually do. Thank you for listening to Not About Lumberjacks and Behind the Cut. Theme music for Behind the Cut is a tune called Reaper by Hrazen. Visit nolumberjacks.com for information about the music, episodes, and voice talent. In a month, it's the strangest father and son story I'll probably ever write. Until next time, be mighty and keep your axes sharp.